Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who definitely needs to check the jets and the carbs. <laughs> I am uh, I am the Adam Glass, and when you're a carb, you're a carb all the way. Your first cigarette <laughs> to your last dying day. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that that became this weird sort of mantra for that character throughout the entire... So well, I, better, yeah. I better go out there and check the jets and the carbs. Oh, it's yeah. like, yeah, okay. <laughs> avoiding much? A lot of avoiding in this movie. Before we get into the film this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash Criterion. If you want to support us, keep us going. Uh, I mean, I don't month. understand it, but if you do want to. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, every week, the weeks I decide not to downplay our Patreon, I, I, you Somebody right has in. to do it. It's yeah, a, it's a rule. To, um, someone has to deprecate that. Um, <laughs> we are Midwesterners. It's true. We, we have are. a certain role very much in society. Very, yeah. And that role is please don't give us money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, 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 no attention. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Like I said, a dollar a month over there gets you access to a bonus episode as well as keeping us going. That bonus episode you get to vote on. Uh, for that dollar, you also get access to the entire back catalog of bonus episodes. I believe there's uh, there's... About a few three dozen over there right now. Yeah. Um, always an on criterion. At least twenty four hours of listening over there now. You can oh, just yeah. binge on that. Yeah. Probably more like forty eight hours because some know. of them I are very long. <laughs> some, uh, yeah. yeah, that's true. Some of those 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 two those yeah those really started to set the precedent of the entire podcast just sort of spiraling out of control <laughs> in terms of length. Oh yeah, we'll do a two hour episode. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh. Do some great stuff over there. Watch some real fun movies over there. Some real interesting movies. Some in- movies that should be in some the Criterion nightmares. Collection. Some nightmares, too. Um, <laughs> uh, most recent one as of this recording, uh, we haven't even talked about it yet, but uh, Louis Buñuel's Robinson Crusoe from 1954, uh, a movie that was surprisingly mundane. <laughs> um, being a And Buñuel just film. really way too much Robinson Crusoe, if I'm being honest. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. It was a, a definitely a straightforward adaptation, which is a little not a good thing. Not really a good yeah. thing. Yeah, just yeah. straight up, it's not a good thing. Yeah, we'll talk about that more uh, over there at Patreon.com/slash/LostInCriterion if you want to hear more of that conversation. Uh, but that is a dollar a month for a little extra five dollars a month. We like to thank those people on air. Uh, we have no $5 supporters right now because recently all of our $5 month supporters popped up to $10 and above. Yeah, they did. Uh, which is Boy, uh, delightful. We do a we do a really great thing for the $10 and above people uh, that I, I really love, and I love doing it. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently, and I get that printed up on postcards and write a little personalized note to everybody and send those off. Again, that is $10 and above a month, our highest tier. 
but we also like to thank those people on air. So thank you very much to Jonathan Hape, Adam Spickerman, uh, Michael McGrath, Christopher Otto, and Jason Westhaber, who are our supporting at yes, that thank you very much. right now. I do resent you not pointing out the $99 a month one where I mail you junk from my house. I don't know why you there skip is, over that tier there every is, time. There is the unlisted $99 yeah, a month it's, it's the secret support menu. level, the secret menu, <laughs> where Pat randomly grabs something from his house to mail to you if you want to throw in. <laughs> I mean, I have a lot of children's toys that we need to get rid of anyway, so... <laughs> Like, if somebody does want to sign up and want some gently used children's toys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It could make that happen pretty easily. It should be. It sh- we should make that clear. These are not some sort of Japanese children's toys. These are American action yeah, figures. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. They're American action figures that have traveled. By the time you get them, have really left a hell of a carbon footprint in the world. Yeah, because they have traveled. Across the world multiple times because they were probably not manufactured in the United States, if I have to be honest. So, right, right. Goodness gracious, honestly. It's, I mean, you're really actually doing the world a disservice by buying this from me, but. Indeed, indeed. Now, if you want to get involved with that disservice or the slightly less disserviceable other tiers, again, that is patreon.com slash lost in criterion, and we greatly appreciate any amount of support. Uh, this week, we are talking about. Two-Lane Blacktop, a movie, I think, from no, I mean, 1971. I, think it qual- I mean, well, okay, it's definitely film because it was <laughs> filmed. Yes, um, yes. Difficult whether, I'm not clear whether or not the term movie implies plot or not. <laughs> it generally doesn't, and I don't want to pretend that it does. Um, <laughs> this is definitely a movie. Uh, it is a a sort of road movie, a sort of race movie, uh, directed by Monty Hellman, again from 71, uh, written by uh, Rudy Wurlitzer, um, which I only mention because one of the more fascinating aspects of this movie is that Wurlitzer's script was released in full prior to the release of this movie as part of the publicity campaign for this movie. The script was published in Esquire. Why? Under the heading, The Movie of the Year. Wow, which, that's which a lot did of hype. Not, which did not translate to people actually showing up, as it turns out. Um, but, well, they uh, probably read the script and were like, wow, this yeah. is three pages long. That's yeah, shocking. Um, none of the characters in this movie have actual names. Uh, they are the driver, James Taylor, uh, the mechanic, Beach Boys drummer, Dennis Wilson, uh, the GTO driver, Warren Oates, uh, the only uh, the only actor among them, uh, and uh, the girl or the hitchhiker Lori Bird, um, who was 17 at the time of the release of this movie. Uh, a fact I only mentioned because uh, during filming, she and Monty Hellman, Hellman, uh, the director, uh, fell into a relationship. Um, oh boy, he he's one of 21 those, years huh? older than her. Um, oh. Very, boy. Her her life gets quite a bit more tragic. Um, I backstory tragic, as far as I know as well. But um, she was only with Hellman for a little bit, and shortly thereafter began dating um, Art Garfunkel, and that's where you may know who Lori Bird is because Art Garfunkel's girlfriend, who committed suicide in his apartment, is Lori Bird. Five years right. after this movie, uh, four years after this movie, I believe actually. Um, so yeah, uh, 
Hard Life uh, died young. That's Lori. Yeah, Bird. Hard Life. It seems like a lot of people made it a lot harder than it needed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like a lot of people seem to have contributed to essentially ruining a person's life. Uh, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Uh, the Esquire thing is interesting because apparently Esquire provided no other commentary besides naming it their choice for movie of the year and listing the script. No critical commentary on it. It was four months before the movie came out. Yeah, I mean, it. you know, it's, I mean, I don't know. I honestly have a hard time understanding. Like, I understand on a purely, like, we want to make money on this movie we made level. Yeah. But, like, the idea that you would, like, be like, okay, I'm going to start doing things that are going to, like, drum up hardcore, like, serious support for this movie is kind of wild when you think about it, right? Like, yeah. Did somebody who thought to themselves, this movie, this action-packed blockbuster. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get yeah. people real jazzed for it. And, Another, you know. As far as the Esquire portion of this saga goes, actually, it has kind of a silly end. Um, this movie bombed so badly and disappeared so quickly in 1971 that uh, the uh, they do an annual end-of-year dubious achievements of the year awards in Esquire, or at least did at the time. I don't, I've never read Esquire. I have no idea if they still do it. Um, Let's assume they do. Probably. Anywhere. Esquire included its own prediction that that movie would be the movie of the year um, as part of their dubious achievements. They gave like, themselves an award for it. Nice. But... That's nice. I, that, that's, that feels good. I mean, mm -hmm. you gotta like... I gotta wonder though, man. You, you like you read the script to this, yeah. And like, I'm not attacking the movie itself, but like, let's be clear here. What was in this script? Uh, couldn't possibly have been that long. Couldn't I mean, been it that was long, published there's in just Esquire, not that much dialogue in it. I mean, this even isn't. even if Esquire's were at the moment where where news magazines like Esquire were over a hundred pages, or coffee table books, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, God, I miss I miss I miss getting. Physically <laughs> tiresome to carry uh, magazines. <laughs> yes, um, but uh, but I can't imagine that the script was all that super long. Um, well, mostly especially because there's when, not a lot of dialogue. There's not a lot of dialogue, and then I can't imagine that the, all the things the GTO driver says is like pre-scripted, right? There's <laughs> right. no way, right? Right. Like that's impossible because, like, yeah. I mean, it's not Oates, impossible. You could write it all, but it doesn't feel like it's all pre-written. Yeah, Oates feels like he's improving every moment of it. Like, yeah, which is which uh, is probably honestly the best part of the movie. Yeah, if we're being honest. Like, if that if he were not in this film doing that, I'm not clear on what this movie would even actually be. This because I'm this, pretty sure there wouldn't be anything left. This movie is all about loneliness, even in coupling right right uh and and oats is the one who verbalizes that loneliness the most not that right. he ever says i'm lonely or anything right, like, but like that but yeah, the way he it, talks and the way he keeps clear, talking yeah. um it's very clear that he he has the same emotional response to all of these things as the silent-esque driver and mechanic who well, who barely talk to each other Right, and and my problem is okay. So like, I went into this. Well, first of all, I started going into this by singing "Road Movie" or uh, 
road movie to Berlin in my head for probably about ten <laughs> minutes because that's you know that that's who out. you are. Yeah, and then and then after that, I decided to engage with the movie itself. And what my problem was, like the description for the movie that I read described it as like gave it a much more dramatic turn in terms of like the interaction between the two main characters mm-hmm. um, described it as like, well, intentions. I believe they may have even used the term tensions flare. Yeah. Um, and it's like, that's not what this movie is. I it was a really like, w- this is why I love movie descriptions because they are just the most yeah. baffling creation ever designed by any human being. Uh, but like, their relationship is so stoic that, like, I'm fine with it being the centerpiece of of a movie. I mean, like, there, that's that is a kind of relationship you can talk about, right? Yeah. But what I would say is that without Oates' character, without GTO, I'm not sure that this would be a bearable movie to watch <laughs> because the. I mean, it would be, but it would be it would be a very different movie, right? Like, it would literally just be two. St- people who don't talk to each other riding in a car and and then you you started to get into um i saw i saw somebody describe this about spaghetti westerns a while back and the idea of that like where you know spaghetti westerns will just show a a close-up of a person's face who's giving as little facial reaction as humanly possible and let the the audience fill in the emotions right into the blank space it would just be that for an hour and a half um and there's nothing wrong with that, but it just wouldn't be this movie. And I, I don't, I, I really feel like, I kept thinking like to myself, it's like, well, he's not, GTO's not billed as the main character. It's not really the main character of the movie, but but as the only one who sort of engages with the audience, he sort of becomes the main character uh, in a lot of ways. Because Yeah. I feel like as as the slightly older character, but also the most openly hipster of all the characters. Right. Like he's got a different sweater every time we see him. He's got a yeah. wet bar in his trunk. He's got uh, a different tape and a different genre of music for every mood he could have yeah. while driving. Um, and he constantly lies about who Everything. he is and where yeah. he comes from. Um, Which is my favorite part of his character. Let's be very clear oh, yeah. here. Like yeah. a person who who you can spend the entire movie and be like, you get to the end, you're like, I have no idea. Yeah. Like, he talked the whole time. I don't know anything right, about right. it. His, his, do you want to know how I got these scars backstory? On? Right, exactly. But it, it's an it's an amazing character trait in a yeah. movie, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it even plays well when it's not meant to be menacing as it is in, you know, when the Joker right. says it in that Batman movie. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, he's, he is the main character, really, as far as I'm concerned. He's not the character well, I, we start I, with yeah. or end with, but he is, He is, I think, as far as an audience relationship to this movie, in as much as this is not just a snapshot of a particular aspect of culture in the late 60s, early 70s, um, he is our gateway in, I think. Um, well, I mean, he's certainly the most relatable for the audience, yeah. which is saying, which is a weird thing to say about a person who is a, a habitual liar that we don't know anything yeah. about. But yeah, oh, yeah. Um, 
I mean, actually, it would be second only to probably the girl because, yeah, in the sense that like we don't know a lot about her, but her motivations seem very straightforward and easy for right. the audience to grab hold of. You know what I mean? Like uh, the driver, the mechanic. Like honestly, they seem to be almost a motivational. Like they they seem to be almost just. Adrift, their motivation right? is their obsession with this vehicle. Right. But even that is not so overt in, uh, like, they don't constantly talk about the car. They'll talk about the right. car when the, someone's talking to them about the car. But the or driver they doesn't. think something needs to happen yeah, to the car. Yeah. yeah. The driver barely talks when he's driving. The mechanic barely talks when he's fixing the car. Uh, and arguably they talk a little more when they're not doing their duties but uh, yeah but only barely yeah i mean but only barely right and and while they're sort of adrift in the world and the the girl is too i don't know her seems more yeah. intentional it's like she's moving from car to car maybe she doesn't know where she's going but she's going there right and gto's a adrift too in the same right. way but he is he is making an active move to be locally accepted by whoever he's interacting with. Right. right. Um, which is the only reason he ever challenges them to any sort of race to begin with. Right. And why he keeps changing the backstory for each, each individual hitchhiker he picks up. Um, now he has his limits definitely. Uh, and, uh, uh, it is, it is somewhat a relief to see him uh, turn away the advancements of some of those hitchhikers without turning violent. Um, well, I was actually really impressed by that part of the movie because you'll notice two things about, especially his interaction, uh, specifically his interaction with the with the homosexual hitchhiker, yeah. specifically. Um, two interesting things about that that I noted were the fact that number one, yeah, as you mentioned, it's not it doesn't turn violent. Um, even even in his sort of resolve to like immediately remove the person, he almost immediately relents and right. says, "Yeah, I'll be. I'll drive you to the next town, but then you got to get out," yeah. which is a fascinating sort of turn, right? Because he, regardless of what his motivations for it are, I don't necessarily think it comes out of compassion, but that that sort of need to like be accepted in whatever yeah. area he's in manifests even in that situation of. Like, not wanting to be that strongly, like, reply that strongly to it. Right. And there's there's maybe, maybe if we read a little deeper, an implication that he's dealing with his own bisexual feelings. and and I think so. Um, Because that's what the other thing I was going to say about him is that whether or not it's true or not, the way he sort of puts off that hitchhiker is not to say like that he's grossed out or something weird like that, but to say that he doesn't have time for this right now. Right. He's in a race. Right. And again, whether or not that's true or not, uh, we don't know because we don't know anything about GTO at all. Like we literally just don't know. Right. Any of his motivations for anything, but he, it is, it is just a fascinating thing to be in a, to be in a movie. Right. Uh, as a sort of way to reply to that situation, because we don't, you don't ever see that in movies. You just, it just doesn't happen. Uh, really, yeah. Is you know, 
people reply um, in ways that are not like intensely sort of I don't know I don't know how to describe it but like don't come from places of intensity you know what I mean right right we we could expect that situation to be more intense and because right. it is not intense um even for the time it is not intense uh it it maybe suggests something else about that interaction that is not explicit um, right but i don't one of the essays for this um or the only essay for this actually uh is uh uh by a writer named uh uh Kent Jones and he talks about the he compares this to the graduate and easy rider as snapshots of a culture of the time um okay and that the graduate the graduate wears its influences on its sleeve um right uh but uh and is maybe still interesting as that aspect of it but but uh, you really had to see it at the time and be of the age group it was aimed at to to really understand the graduate right. is an yeah. argument he makes um and and same for easy rider and uh the director himself uh Hellman says that this movie wouldn't have gotten made without those movies, and in particular, Easy Rider, uh, quote in the essay from, from Hellman. Uh, we realized that the reason the deal was made was because of Easy Rider. There was no question that we appreciated success as a ticket to a kind of freedom that wouldn't have been available to us otherwise. Uh, not to say that he is making his own Easy Rider, um, but Easy Rider existed and succeeded and that led to a sense of freedom, even within within the studios, right? Like this is a universal movie, right? I mean, it, but is, it makes sense, right? Because you, we see this, this, you know, we, we don't really. I understand where this, this, the whole thought process here is coming from, but like, that's not a fluke, right? Like, right. Every time something sort of indie becomes famous or popular. Every studio tries to green light twelve things that are kind of like it. Right, right, and this is it's just one a of thing those that things. Happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that is this is a function of that. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the hiring of James Taylor has an interesting backstory too, uh, in that they saw his face on a billboard. The producers, <laughs> okay, driving around L.A. James Taylor, uh, having just released "Sweet Baby James." Um, an ad campaign for for that single or for the album, maybe I don't know. Anyway, his face was on a billboard, uh, so they called him in to do a screen test, and he had a mustache when he showed up for the screen test, and they weren't sure if uh, if they wanted him with a mustache or not. Uh, so he shaved the mustache during the screen test. Uh, unfortunately, that screen test is is lost. Uh, That's unfortunate. No, no video of James Taylor shaving. Shaving, actively <laughs> shaving his mustache, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, how Dennis Wilson got involved, I uh, I don't know offhand. Um, Dennis Wilson is his own weird character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one, one uh, I think it was the uh, Richard Linklater wrote a, uh, yeah, 
This is Richard Linklater wrote a 10 reasons he loves this movie that's included on the, uh, I think, the most recent Blu-ray release of it from Criterion. Um, it's actually 16 reasons, but it's, it's 10, 16 actually reasons I love Tom. <laughs> Tulane Blacktop is the name of the, the list. Um, but uh, number four, uh, because Dennis Wilson gives the greatest performance ever, ellipsis, by a drummer. Um, okay. Which I don't even know if necessarily true, but... <laughs> yeah, I don't... I honestly am not sure that that's necessarily true, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, Dennis, uh, he's he's involved... And they're both non-actors, and, and Laurie Bird, also a non-actor, um, to almost, particularly with James Taylor... Uh, to almost a Bresson-esque extent. Yeah, that's kind of where I, my mind was going with this. Yeah. And, and and if, you know, it's that sort of classic phenomenon. The, the difference being that, like, Bresson gets the, the non-actor and then emotionally, yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> abuses them until they do what he wants, which makes the idea of getting a non-actor kind of a crazy thing anyway. I, Bresson is his own... Yeah wild can of worms um but like you know if your goal is to have characters who demonstrate nearly no emotion a non-actor is a great choice because you just don't teach them anything and they'll just be that yeah i mean i i assume although honestly my guess is probably probably the director had to spend a lot of time trying to get them to emote less would be my guess like like, why are you saying that with so much enthusiasm? Please tone it down. And James Taylor's like, well, have you ever heard my music? And the director's like, yes, I have. It's not, have you heard your music? Why are you doing this? <laughs> right. Well, see, I like the I like the idea that since the director discovered them him off of a billboard, the answer would be, yeah. no, I haven't. What's it like? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's mostly like this. I sit there and, and don't, don't emote. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're yeah, sad yeah. songs. It's fine. Oh, I, I do. I do. As long as we're on James Taylor, I want to share this. Uh, when I worked at the Westin um, around 2014, um, working at the hotel, James Taylor came through. And I actually spent an hour last night trying to figure out if it wasn't 2014 because of details I discovered uh, in wanting wanting to recount this story. Um, but I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, James Taylor married a much younger woman in 2001, or maybe just before, or maybe just after. And in any case, they had twins in 2001. Um, in 2014, these twins should have been about 13 years old. They're fraternal twins. One is taller than the other. But I saw these kids and thought they were like nine and six, respectively. Uh, okay. I don't know. They should have been 13. Um <laughs> In uh, any case, I, here's what I will tell you: children are weird, yes. and um, trying to guess how old they are based on what they look like is nearly impossible. I agree. I agree. Um, particularly when every time you see those two boys, they are in sailors' outfits in yeah, 2014. That help. Yeah, that doesn't help. Yeah, like totally. <laughs> like like the classic little boy sailors. Yeah, no, outfits. I I, I the admire shorts, the white I am, the the bib. Yeah, and the cat. No, I get it. I I admire um, <laughs> a parent's willingness to just torture their children to that extent. Like you're 13 years old, put your fucking sailor suit on. Let's go. We, they, you didn't think they made these in this size? They do. 
I'm glad that they weren't identical. It would have reached a level of creepy if they I were mean, they, identical. You would have had to probably quit your job earlier <laughs> than you did because, like, you officially Which, just got yeah weird, would have been a twins wandering your hotel. But yeah, um, but, but yes, I just kept seeing them around the hotel in these sailor outfits for like three days, and it was uh, knowing knowing in retrospect that they were 13 when this was happening. Uh, is just yeah. even more Makes bizarre and delightful. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I really like the idea that, like, you left, but those twins are still there, Adam. <laughs> ah, forever. They weren't even James Taylor's kids. No, that's they just, just, what they're, I told that's just a coincidence. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> that's what your brain did to rationalize the whole situation to keep you from yeah. going insane. Yeah. Yeah. I have and then there was the weird tentacle-faced monster man, and I, I don't know what was going on there. Manager, I assume, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he did uh, pay me a tip, so I don't know. Whatever. It was not a very good one. Um, anyway. Well, he is a tentacle monster man. I mean... What can I They're expect? not known for their tipping. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's my, my one interaction with James Taylor in real life, was uh, was his kids being dressed as sailors. <laughs> Oh, very nice. Uh, Couldn't ask for better, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, the stoicism is evident in James Taylor's music quite often. So like right. I understand his his interaction here. Um, it's oh, you got to be able, you got to be willing to check the jets and the carbs, man. Yeah. It is a bizarre movie. It is. Um, I, I mean, I will be honest. Like, I, I, based on everything that, like, led up to it, I was not expecting to like it at all. Like, yeah. I mean, to be really honest, like, I was like, there's nothing in this movie description that is in my wheelhouse that I would, yeah. will enjoy. And I actually did kind of enjoy it. It The amount it reminds me of that um, fast, what was it? No, was it wasn't a Fassbender movie, was it? Wh- who was it? Oh, man. Oh, man, my brain doesn't work. Could you just think? what I want you to think so that you can just <laughs> can say you, what I want to say. Can you describe the movie at all? The movie where the two guys are driving to Florida from Cleveland. Oh, no, not Fastbender. not that long ago. Certainly not Fastbender. Jarmusch. I it's, know. Uh, I don't know why I said Fastbender. My brain just yeah. doesn't want to work they're, right now. They're driving from New York to Cleveland. They do end up in Florida, but you're talking about um, you're talking about uh, Spine 400, in fact, um, the uh, Jim Jarmusch. Uh, oh, yeah, goodness. I don't know why my brain was like, Jim Jarmusch, yeah, that's fastbender i don't know yeah fucking my brain is well there is a fastbender tie this is the this is the second movie we heard uh me and (laughs) me and bobby mcgee um in after we'll we'll give me the benefit of the doubt and say that's what it is and it's not just that i'm bad at all things because it was it was uh berlin alexander plots was the last time we heard that song song, (laughs) true which is (laughs) it's just really fascinating when you think about it um but yeah like it it just sort of reminds me of sort of that kind of, I mean, this is obviously a, from a different era and a different sort of like take on that kind of, um, lack of. Yeah. The like, lack of focus drive. Yeah. Where it's just people going around being their character and, and, yeah. and, and doing what they, whatever sort of the wind takes them or whatever. Uh, and I just wasn't expecting like, and I actually did pretty much enjoy watching it. I mean, it was weirdly stressful at times, which was fascinating when you consider like nothing's ever happening. 
uh, I, I at times was really stressed out by the movie, and I think it was just sort of the interplay between GTO and the characters. Like, I kept expecting things to go really, really bad. Yeah. Like, I expected somebody to... Like, I spent most of the movie expecting somebody to get murdered. Yeah. Like, I was just waiting for it to happen. They, they've they developed this uneasy friendship that that ends with them not even really racing, right? They are ostensibly racing, but whenever right. one of them stops, the other stops, inevitably. So, right. Uh, and then they start trading trading participants in the different cars. So, right. Like, and and uh, that's all very fascinating. And I, and, yeah. But at the same time, like, I don't know. The movie somehow, in its sort of quietness, conveyed a sense of impending doom to me. Yeah. That is that isn't there, right? Like you get all the way to the movie to the point where the end of the movie is probably the best part of the movie in this fact that it just it's shocking how dramatically right it ends. It's just sudden. It's just oh, the I'm narrative. Like, I literally, end. I literally, Adam was doing dishes, you know, which is a thing I do when I watch these movies. Yeah. I was doing the dishes, and I literally audibly said to a room that was empty because it was like midnight. What the fuck? <laughs> like, because the movie just, I was just like, wait, what? Like, uh, what, what? Like, yeah. it's just over now? Here? This? Okay, fine. I mean, like, I'm glad they did it that way because there could be no satisfactory conclusion to this sort of non-narrative, right? Like, you just right. eventually have to just end it, right? Like, the parties go their separate ways and it's over. Yeah. The only um, thing binding them together is this weird journey they're on, and as soon as right. they part ways, the fucking movie is over. Movie's over, and then the film catches fire. So why not? Um, also, apparently, projectionists hated this movie because of that. Because it's terrifying that they're <laughs> going to get fired. Right, right, right. Why? Why are you ruining art? Like, I, I've I've seen that we've seen art pieces that do that kind of thing before. Like in different forms, like not necessarily the film catching fire, but like you know other where that are essentially, as far as I can tell, meant to torture somebody whose job it is to like just make a thing work properly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we we've encountered movies where like it's all black and there's only talking for a while, and you know, and all those and and you know where or things like rack sideways or something, right? Where the film starts racking left or right. And it's like all these things where it's like, yeah, art, but also there's a guy who's in, doing his job and he's like, <laughs> and at least the first time this happens has a panic attack and that's yeah, probably not super kind. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, your art's real cool, but like I started crying in my job today because <laughs> I thought I was going to get fired because the film caught fire. <laughs> cool art dude <laughs> absolutely absolutely um yeah yeah apparently the universal the president of universal at the time just hated this movie which is why it didn't get a video release forever um i, I can think see the, that. the I essay see, says yeah. yeah i think the essay says that the the next time this movie surfaced from 71 when it came out was a pan and scan version that ended up on television in the mid eighties. Um, that all makes a lot of sense to me yeah. right now. 
Everything you're uh, saying to me makes complete sense. I I think the next time sort of I can imagine it taking nearly a decade or more, probably almost a decade and a half for another sort of revolution of of American culture that would that had this sort of listlessness depressive listlessness as a sort of foundational element, you know, mid mid eighties kind of thing where this would be something you would think, uh, maybe these kids will like this. Um, it, and I'm not surprised that the, you know, yeah, the head of the universal didn't like it. I mean, like you, th- they, I'm, I assume they thought they were buying easy rider. Yeah. Almost certainly. They, they thought they were like, well, we are going to throw, money at as many projects that kind of remind everybody of easy rider as we can yeah Yeah, and and it was uh, it was produced under produced under a youth oriented subdivision of universal as far as i can tell so like they're they're thinking they're making easy rider as far as the studio is concerned um right it looks like and i would oh sorry go ahead i was gonna say it looks like the first video release of this film was in 1999 Anchor Bay put it out. And one of the problems, one of the reasons it took that long, though, eventually, was the music rights. Particularly Moonlight Drive by The Doors was uh, impossible to license properly uh, to the point where Anchor Bay had to get uh, had to get somebody. Yeah, William Lustig, <clears throat> who was a technical advisor for Anchor Bay, got Hellman himself to approach the surviving members of the Doors to get approval for the licensing of the song in the movie, which was wow. the last holdout. Um, but yeah. Yeah, the music in this movie is... Uh, <laughs> it is reminiscent of a lot of... Uh, a lot of more modern films where the soundtrack is a lot better than the movie. Um, yeah. But, but I think the soundtrack does, it does particularly work well to the moods yeah. that are happening here. But one of the, one of the reasons complaints like that get made about movies like say garden state is that the soundtrack is a lot better at portraying the mood than the film itself in those sorts of movies. Whereas right. this, this movie melts that very well i won't it, well, i mean this mood yeah i mean this movie portrays the mood it's going after quite yeah. well it's just that the mood that this movie is trying to convey can be read very easily as a flat line if you're yeah <laughs> it, right i mean you know it and and you know that's all very much on purpose uh right but that doesn't change the fact that like and, and the music matches it because and actually i, I would argue that Without the music, similar to the G- to GTO, without the music, this movie probably wouldn't make a lot of sense, right? Because you're, you, we as audience members are picking up a lot of cues from from blank silent stairs, right? The move, the music is telling us a lot about what those stairs mean, right? Again, once it, again, similar to something like a spaghetti western, where the yeah. the pickup and the tone of the music tells you like, oh, this is a tense moment. Where it steps away from Bresson is in that Bresson would never. Right. Ever Bresson fall back on music just make, to <laughs> make us just to stare at that blank face and have no idea what's going on? Right, right, uh, right. Uh, Bresson also probably wouldn't make a road race movie, but if he were going, I to, I cannot say that that's true. I would love it. Um, I I think you know time and place are wrong, but you know, 
I can still see it happening. Uh, so another thing about this movie is that it is mostly filmed on location. Um, they, yeah, a, a car. They, well, <laughs> <laughs> they are mostly filming in the cities that they say they're filming. Yeah, in. yeah. Uh, they they drove across the country themselves uh, during production um, with uh, <laughs> with uh, the actors getting their script to like the night before while they're driving across the country the actors are but I thought it was published in Esquire couldn't they have just bought a copy yeah maybe they should have just bought a copy of Esquire <laughs> uh, but yeah to the to the point where where um, Taylor and uh, um, Wilson were were a bit peeved at the fact that they weren't uh, weren't getting the scripts the director's justification for giving out their scripts uh, so quickly uh, to the turnaround was in life you don't know what's going on going to happen to you next week so I didn't think that was crucial to being able to play the scene for them to have the script for more I, than know, 24 I mean, hours the Bresson analogies really actually seeming to work very well <laughs> right, um, right including the failed relationship with his underage actress um, right uh, a thing I was actually thinking about, and I remember the thing I was gonna I was gonna talk about. It kind of popped back into my head, is that interestingly enough, we were we were talking about you know sort of its relationship to Easy Rider, and I was wondering in my head like if part of the reason why it, this movie didn't take off and become popular, not just because you know like it wasn't supported by its studio and things like that, but I started to wonder to myself about the possibility that like also because. In my mind, like, it does seem to be capturing a social moment in society, like a moment of, of society, but it's, I think, a moment of society that people didn't want to have the sort of mirror, like, put up again. You know what I mean? Like, because, you know, like, we're talking about the sort of waning days of of a very exuberant time, at least in sort of, like, white America, that sort of start as as already starting to has hit its zenith and is starting to fade away. And this movie I think sort of captures that, but it's not a thing that people like are super excited to go watch a movie about. You know what I'm saying? Like the you know, you whereas Easy Rider does have some of that still in it, this movie sort of even a few years later captures the fact that that's that moment has passed to a certain extent. It's just mm -hmm. an interesting thing to I don't know that it's a hundred percent. I don't. I, I'd have to do more research to be a hundred percent sure. But like, sort of the timeline as you get further into, even as you're sort of cresting into the seventies, and some of that exuberance seems to be fading away. Um, yeah. And this movie really, really hits on the idea of like these are young people. These are young people who. Are in theory, in theory, like supposed to be among the exuberant, right? Among the yeah, I think um, they're just not. They're just they're not. I think it's in in the essay. Um, this movie is described as the last movie of the '60s and the first movie of the '70s. Yeah. Um, no, I yeah, that's kind of what I was going for. Yeah, and it's it's exactly what you're saying in a more succinct. <laughs> You need to understand yeah, what we're trying to say. Yeah, much better. Yeah, much better at writing than I am. Right. Um, 
but yeah, yeah, it's it's very much you know that uh, post summer of '69 malaise of what to do with this whole young people's movement that's been going on, right? And the uh, and the the disengagement that a lot of you know, hippies or hippie-esque people felt after after Altamont and after those after a lot of stuff went south, right? Right. Um, so, and Vietnam keeps going, so there's that too. Right, right. right. So, um, yeah. Um, another kind of weird aspect of this is uh, whatever, I'm told that Esquire printed the original script uh, the original script as shot, which is what they did, is a three and a half hour long movie. They cut out what? over an hour and a half to get to think what we about, saw. Think about that hour and a half of GTO just making up more shit. <laughs> right? I'm kind of sad I didn't just get to see that. Right. Right. Like, I'm not because I don't know if I would have made it through three hours of that. I'm glad that this movie is only an hour and a half long. Well, hour and 45 minutes long because yeah. it, it is, as I described it, was um, was physically painful at times for me. <laughs> right. Um, So three hours of that would have been probably unbearable. Um, That being said, you know, there it is interesting to know what that hour how that extra that hour and 15 minutes was yeah yeah who knows uh but apparently it was yeah they they knew they knew three and a half hours was too long <laughs> so so they uh they cut that um well you know i i say it's too we say it's too long but there's a different. He was actually contractually obligated head. to keep the movie under two hours. Okay. Yeah. There so go. there's that too. Because, like, in my head, there's another version of this movie that is very different, which spends that because it's longer. GTO is de-emphasized because perhaps his this is all of his stuff or something like that. I, I'm just you know spitballing here, but like. And focuses more on just really, really digging into watching these guys just drive across the country. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that, that's a different movie, right? There's this, there's a movie in my head where it's just essentially looking out of a car window on a cross-country trip. You know what I mean? Right. Which is fascinating. Like in a car with people who all decided that they're either comfortable enough or or not comfortable enough that they're just not going to talk. So the girl, uh, we haven't really yeah. talked about a lot so far. No. Uh, the hitchhiker who who comes and goes. Um, one interesting aspect uh, to start us off here is that the sort of introductory scene of her uh, where they send her out to beg for money mm -hmm. uh, is filmed hidden camera style. She is interacting with people on the street. Uh, no, interesting. He, there are no extras. It is just her asking actual people for money and being shot from from across the uh, across the street, uh, which you can tell in the way it's framed. But right, uh, 
but yeah, she's she's an interesting character here in that she uh, she ends up in some amount of a relationship with each of the three guys. Right. Um, the driver takes that aspect of it a lot worse than either of the other two. <laughs> right. Uh, he is he is pretty emotionally devastated by what's going on. Um, I mean, yeah, I, yes, but I will, I will, I will, here's what I will add to that, which is not a lot, but again, I read the plot summary of it and I was expecting something much more dramatic than what it was. Right. Like right. he is, he is emotional about it, but it is still the same character. Right. He is, he is emotionally in, devastated within the very small uh, frame of what constitutes emotion in this movie. So. Right, exactly. Yeah, it, it is it is readable. Like you know he's upset, but it's like the des- again, the description way overplayed it. I was like they're going to end up beating each other up and it's like well, he's definitely upset. Uh yeah, so it, that was yeah. kind of interesting too, I think for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's actually really interesting. I mean, obviously, from a plot standpoint, this movie isn't about outsiders, you know, scamming anyone or taking advantage of anyone. They're just guys in a beat-up car that drives a lot faster than it looks like it should. But they're not actively I mean, it trying is to its trick own anyone sort into sort of scam. I mean, it, yeah. it is... I mean, they know they're running a sort of scam. It's just yeah. the sort of scam that doesn't seem like it's ever going to result in them getting like killed for it or anything like that. Right. right? And like, that's, that's kind of an, uh, what I'm getting at is it, it is actually interesting that nothing ever comes to violence. Right. In this movie. Um, you know, because it, it, they are in situations where it very, very easily could like right. even when, even when they're in a Southern town with police who don't trust the outsiders and they, they talk about changing their license plates and stealing a local license plate to look like they're locals so that the police don't or or some other group implied uh don't think they're outsiders um but at the same time that even their interactions with police never boil over um when they're sitting outside the gas station and the clerk finally shows back up and calls the police because GTOs in the drunk in the garage um, the police chase them off, but they don't really like, what do we get from that? We get the characters telling each other we'll meet on a dirt road. Uh, right. then they turn and then we cut to that dirt road. Like we don't even see a chase. Right. Right. Uh, and, and I wonder honestly, if part of who knows, I mean, that could also be something that was cut is like, de-emphasizing any sort of action in the movie yeah to get like because as far as a a sort of racing air quotes racing movie the action of racing is severely de-emphasized in this movie right like it's like right as you described it there's basically by the end no race going on anyway right uh and and the fastest we ever see the driver drive is to race back to that diner for the girl right and we don't not only do we not get to the conclusion of the race that is ostensibly driving the plot, um, neither of them lose their race for 
the girl, or right. neither of them win their race for the girl, neither of them win the race for the cars, and they just part ways. Right. Like, no one's... The pink slips are in D.C. <laughs> right. Like, but no one's going to get them. Right. Um, my, my, my thought process on that is we don't know enough about GTO to know anything. Yeah. My guess is for these two guys, the driver and the mechanic, that pink slip is borderline irrelevant anyway, right? Right. In the sense that, like, the car looks like a piece of garbage, right? Like, no right. one's... Right. No one's going to pull up and be like, who did you steal this car from? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're driving a car that is intentionally made to look like it barely works. Yeah, uh, yeah it drives very fast because it's that is part of the, the scam. Yeah. But, like... Regardless, I mean, like they're, they don't they're, that pink slip is probably meaningless to them. Yeah. Um, and and who knows if it's even a legit pink slip because like this car is so cobbled together. Like which part? Like you know what I mean? Like does it even have like a VIN number or anything like that? Who knows? Right? Like. Yeah. I, my guess is that I you know that's the impression I got right from the beginning because their their willingness to just sort of like cook up this pink slip scheme, I think partially. In my right. mind, when I was watching it, came from the fact that like this pink clip doesn't mean jack shit to yeah. us. Like, and where, and where the the sort of scamming comes in, even as conflict doesn't, is they frequently make bets for money we know they don't have. Right, absolutely. Right, but they make and but they're they're they what they are doing is a, a classic grift, right? Where like all everybody they are racing against thinks that they are grifting. You know, basically yeah. everybody thinks that they are grifting these two Each young other. men who Yeah, like, I mean that's that's how the entire right, right. And so function it's like, of street racing goes, right? If right. you don't make a bet, you don't think you can't win. Right, exactly. Especially if you're and, in a and car. So, so Well and, and well the car thing is specifically with the GTO guy, right? Like, yeah, yeah, but that's a pretty common uh street right, racing. Yeah, I understand that. But like too. we don't see them do it with anybody else. It's yeah. always just two hundred dollars right. here, two hundred and I think there's a lot of in, really fascinatingly sort of fascinating sort of intentionality into a lot of it because I think we talked about like it not ever escalating to violence I think the numbers are part of that game right like it's never such a large because everybody they're racing against are people with really nice tricked out cars right yeah are these people for whom probably $200 is a lot of money but not like go to jail money I don't know I get the feeling from a lot of the small town stuff that that these cars are nice because they poured all of their money into the car. That's true. I, right. I mean, I'm just saying that like, GTO's I got think, money because GTO's clearly bought himself into this lifestyle. Right. right? That's, That's absolutely GTO's true. backstory. Uh, but like, I'm, I, I think we're supposed to be sort of, they, they push the boundaries of it, right? Because everybody yeah. sort of almost always universally suggests $50 to them. And then they push it to like 200 right. or whatever. 300 at one point. Yeah. Yeah. But they never, but because it never escalates the violence, I think it's, whether or not it's true or not, it kind of reads that like they're never the scams never hit the point where it like is enough to cause violence. You know what I mean? Right. right. By not showing that, the movie sort of tells us, well, this is kind of air quotes an innocent scam. In yeah. that, you know, very much in air quotes, but you know, I mean, what I mean? that's it's another a... culture thing too, right? This isn't like cheating at cards. You're you're only getting three hundred dollars from one guy. And the rest, the rest of the people there, theoretically, even though watch. they might be, even though they might be this guy's friends in theory, they are right. respecters of the culture, 
and since you've only cheated right. one of them. <laughs> right, and then you're probably going to move on. Right? And you've already and, proved and, you're in a faster car, so you just get going, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, it, you do still sort of expect violence a couple times in the movie. Right. Like, right. you sort of oh, feel absolutely. like, well, this could end bad. Yeah. Uh, you also just sort of get the impression that, um, yeah, you still sort of get the impression that, like, also, like, the pe- you know the classics are again the classic grift thing right well this guy should have known better like right no one was going to challenge you to a race in a 55 Chevy that didn't have anything sort of right. under the hood right, right? like right. duh and so I think to a certain extent there's a sort of all oh, this is sort of uh, there you get the impression that there's a sort of this is egg on my face sort of yeah uh scenario. it's it's just a fascinating thing to it, the, the the racing how infrequent it is is fascinating is a fascinating part of this movie um, right the idea that there are these just this these guys wandering from town to town like scamming people out of relative not 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 no money i mean 200 dollars right. in 1971 is a lot of money right uh but apparently not enough to ever get them beat up <laughs> right yeah they're just emotionally beat up by the fact that the girl leaves to, right with with a guy she also never talked to. That's that's the girl's mo is just delightful too because she just I, she I, just climbs in their really car at the beginning. I I love her introduction. Like her introduction gave me a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Uh, but then was really fascinating because I was I was very enamored with the fact that the first time we ever hear her talk is her making demands of these people for whom she just hopped in their car and never no <laughs> right. one ever acknowledged her existence until she started making demands. Right, which was really fascinating. I was like, "What a character archetype!" Like, yeah, yeah, she's a great character. Um, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, she never overtly uses sexuality, but um, but maybe she's covertly using. You know, she is also well, the only woman in this whole. Interaction, I think right? it plays it. I think it's a. I think there is a certain amount of commentary on it. Like it comes. It's weird in the sense that, like, when we find out, like, the relationship between the director and yeah, that makes it scarier and dirtier. But like, she never overtly does that. But like, you get into that sort of scenario where, like, because she's the only woman in the movie, there is a sort of weird implication that all the male characters seem to put on to her. Yeah. Like, it it derives from their thoughts and the actions rather than from hers. Right. Like, you get the impression from her, like, she's literally just bumming rides. Like, this is what she wants to do. Yeah. But there's all the sort of emotion that gets attached to that seems to exclusively come from the men in the movie attaching more, like... I don't know more emotion to this than is necessarily probably appropriate, right? Right. She moves. Uh, she moves from guy to guy because she's bored. Right. Yeah, right. that's just her personality, right? And yeah. like, but they are the ones who are attaching this sort of extra level of um, right emotionality and sort of and and sort of like possession, like uh, possessiveness yeah. as well. Uh, yeah, which is what makes what makes the drivers only emotional outburst in the entire movie even more fascinating is the fact that he should know better right he's the last one right. on this list out of the three of them so you know he already slept outside once because she was having sex with the mechanic so right 
so yeah it's but it's, again like i mean but that it as a commentary on the sort of like broken brains of of yeah oh absolutely man, is a fascinating it's a fascinating one right like yeah he knows what's he in theory should understand exactly what's happening here and right. be prepared for it like i mean like but at the same time that his drive to possess right is just so right overwhelming right uh and it's fascinating that the mechanic is so much more laissez-faire about everything uh well he's just the mechanic yeah well it's just it's a fascinating thing yeah he's not yeah it's it's interesting to to discover like that's essentially that's one of our only gateways into understanding these characters as people right is that is their specific reaction to the girl yeah because we get so little else from them Yeah. Whereas GTO's reaction to the girl is basically GTO's reaction to every other human being. <laughs> right. Right. GTO's MO with her is no different than his MO right. with literally every other person who's ever been in his car. He will say whatever he is, needs to say to get whatever reaction he, whatever interaction. Which is really, I think it's just to make you like him. I, I right. really do. And it is just to make you like compulsive. him. It's compulsive. Yeah. Yeah. It is like, not. He really doesn't not, seem to want anything right. else. He doesn't want just, anything out of these people. you to like me. Yeah. He doesn't even necessarily want a relationship or sex with her. No, it doesn't seem like it, honestly. Right. It just um, seems like he wants her to be... Like, he talks... He, he uses those words. He uses the language of those thought processes, but it feels when he's saying it just as disingenuous as the things he says to everybody else. Right, which is which is another reason why... Um, the scene with the homosexual hitchhiker is, is very interesting. Because I've been... Up until the point where she decides to switch cars again out of boredom, right? He has only invited men into his car. Yes, right. Um, and that's that's a na- the nature of a movie where there are no other female characters too. But right. that is also an act of choice, right? Uh, I mean, there could be there could be female hitchhikers. It, it was right. It was that could be possible. That's a thing right. that like they had full freedom on who the hitchhikers were, right? And and considering they do have one of the male hitchhikers try to get romantically involved with him, it is not outside the realm of their thought process to uh, to have a female like like a lady hitchhiker does not automatically imply uh, some sort of sexual inter- interchange um, <laughs> right uh, going on. Um, so yeah, it's. Right, yeah, I mean GTO is a he, fascinating character. I, I a, find the uh, GTO is probably. One of the more interesting characters I've right. honestly ever encountered in a movie. And right. it's weird to see him buried in... I mean, he makes sense in this movie and everything like that. But, like, it is fascinating to me that we, like... I'm going to remember this character yeah. from a movie that I will probably largely forget. Yeah. where Because he is so weird. He's just not weird, but, like, he's so unique. Yeah. Especially in a movie where everyone else seems to be some sort of emotional metaphor for the current malaise of the youth, right? Um, he is well. He and is the, a slightly yeah. older guy who is much more disconnected from society than even they are because he doesn't want to be disconnected from society. Right. right. He is incapable of interacting with society in like a meaningful way, and it is. It is. It is. Yeah. Sad, almost. Right. Like you're watching him with sadness, really. And in that regard, I think he is meant to be gay. Yeah, probably. I, yeah. I would agree that that's probably true. Um, and it, But it's interesting because 
however they decide to manifest this in this movie is like you know for example like when he ta- I, I'm deeply fascinated by the way he talks to the girl specifically mm-hmm. because he starts using because he says the things he thinks the people he's with want to hear yeah he's not like preternatural he's not he doesn't have some super insight and so he's often wrong yes um and that makes him even more fascinating right because a, this, this same kind of character in a different movie would is is fucking silence whatever the, the hannibal from silence of the yeah. lambs or some shit yeah. you know what i mean who's like always knows exactly what buttons to press on in somebody to make them do it whereas this this guy is just flounderingly like just trying to make connections any connect, but doesn't any connection but but cha- keeps changing himself at least right. superficially to make those connections and it almost it exclusively fails yeah. and it's fascinating she's the best example of that because all the other ha- all the ones ha- other hitchhikers have been men and he uses similar language with all of them right like he right. uses it's a different story but it's always driven from the same places yeah. of like something like trying to show off something trying to be interesting well, to them another Whereas time that her, that gets I'm sorry. Finish your thought, please. No, no, go ahead. I want another I, time I where that gets very interesting is with the sort of pudgy or Texan who he picks up, yeah. and who is completely unimpressed by anything he says because yeah, just this guy has no desires. <laughs> like, right, right. Well, exactly. And he's well, why a very aren't fascinating. You still in Bakersfield. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. He's very interesting. And then when we see him, and the that that Texan. He's Texan, right? I think he's Texan. I think right? he's, I think they're in Texas at the time, right? Yes, and and the girl are the best example, or actually, kind of help you understand what GTO is about because they provide right. the only sort of contrast away from those more hyper masculine, right? This demonstrations that he's doing for other people because for Texas it just doesn't fly, and he ends up repeating himself exactly, right, word for word, right, <laughs> which is fascinating, uh, which we never see him do again. Right, uh, and then with her, it's all codified in language that he thinks she wants to hear about, like being together and getting married, right. and right, and and all this sort of stuff that, like, she's never demonstrated any sort of interest in. But like, he's hopped to like his sort of his mental place for like her, right? Of like yeah. how he would appeal to a woman in his car. Yeah. Right. From the same ground, the same goal of just being like, I need something. I need a connection here. We got to try to make a connection here. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that's that's a great read of the character. Um, and again, as you said, GTO is really the most interesting thing going on here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, we could probably pull this to a close then. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't really have a lot more to add to it. Yeah. I mean. It's, we will. I, I do enjoy the the view of America, like that. Yeah, yeah. You do as get this a, sort of interesting view of America in 1971. As a it's time capsule of Route 66 in 1971, it's not. It's nothing to ignore, right? It's yeah, that's interesting too. Um, we will see a couple more movies from Hallman. Um, the two films he made directly before this, The Shooting and Ride in the Whirlwind. Um, are part of a box set in Spines uh, 734 and 35, I believe. So it'll be a while, but we will see see a little bit more work from him. We'll get um, there eventually. Yeah. Uh, oh, but the yeah, this has is... Jacqueline Nicholson in it? That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, apparently, 
Apparently they were friends. They both do. Um, okay. Yes. Yes, they do. Um, but this has been Tulane Blacktop from uh, 1971. Uh, again, directed by Monty Hellman, who we'll see more from later. Yeah, we're we're learning who fr- who is friends with Monty Hellman because Jack Nicholson is in both of these movies. Harry Dean Stanton's in it, which yeah, Harry Dean Stanton hung out with that group too. And uh, then also, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, GTO. Who's GTO? I just my brain just blank. Uh, uh, Warren Oates is also yeah. in one of them. It's just, it's all very fascinating. Uh, next week we will be talking about the Naked Prey from 1965, directed by Cornell Wilde, a uh, mid 60s adventure movie uh, that did. Uh, did get an Academy Award nomination for screenplay, so maybe it is not the boilerplate adventure movie that most what mid-60s it, adventure movies guard. The Naked Prey. But yeah, look forward to that, and uh, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oitard Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. by John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Haight does the music. Check him out at JonathanHaight.Bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash LostInCriterion. We'd appreciate it.